Welcome back to the Multipod. This is episode 60. We've hit the 6-0 here on the Multipod. Multipod, our two-and-a-half-year journey continues. We're heading into the summer of 2020. If you're listening to this on uh, in the park, maybe, or in, on your back deck uh, under the sunshine, that would be great. Certainly recommend that you do. So my name's Ted. I'll be your host for today. I am joined by a very special guest, uh, Florian Flo, who comes to us live from Austria. Flo, how are you doing? Hi there, Ted. Thanks for being on board. Yeah, so we've got a great episode for you planned. We'll, we'll get to know Flo and some of his background and uh, his interests, his hobbies, and insight. And we're going to explore a theme that I think will be interesting and relevant to a lot of you, a lot of you listening, which is well, we're going to talk about starting projects and essentially how to start a successful project that won't fail. Now, as much as failure is something we learn from, our objective is obviously to have success, and Flo will share some uh, insight in his life and his career and profession of uh, useful experiences, things we can all learn from, because, of course, here in the Putty Tribe, you know, people, we, we thrive on starting new projects, and, uh, and whether it's a business, maybe, or a hobby, something that you're investing some money in, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, we want to make sure that, um, that it's a success and we achieve the things we're after. So the challenge is to figure out how to do that and look beyond those exciting first few days and kind of think ahead to, you know, the months and the years in the future and how this project might actually turn out, what kind of success you can have. So that's what we're kind of dance around a bit here today. But first, definitely want to get to know Flo. So now you're in Austria. Where, what part of Austria are you in? Well, that uh, I'm right in the middle between uh, Vienna and Munich. Okay. So uh, it's it's near the uh, the German border, Austrian German border, and I have yeah, one and a half hour to Munich, one and a half hour to Vienna. Nice. So right in the middle of Europe, in the heart of Europe. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I love uh, thinking about Europe and how everything is so close. I mean, for me here in Canada. <laughs> The closest big city would be Montreal, which is two hours away, and that's close. I mean, you know, usually you're talking places that are four or five hours away. So <laughs> it's just amazing to think how close things are connected over where you are. Sadly, I've never been to Austria. It's been on my list. Uh, I made it to a bit of Germany, but uh, next time we're in Europe, we'll, we'll make the point of seeing the beautiful mountains in, in Austria for sure. And, and also, we got to get you over here to Canada. You haven't been here yet. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. Well, as I heard you in Ottawa, I have to go to Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a beautiful city. <laughs> I have to do a, a, a life episode, right? <laughs> so you're a new member now. We, you know, our, our show is fun in that we chat to people, members of the Putty Tribe, some of whom have been members for like a couple years or more, uh, some who've just joined, and you fit into that category. Um, we're recording this towards the end of June of 2020, and did you? When did you join the group? It was just a few weeks ago. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I think a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah, month uh, because uh, after uh, after Barbara Shear died on on tenth of May, it was I, I found this book uh, refused to choose. I bought in Edinburgh. Uh, I don't know in, in January at a flea market. Never thought to uh, re read it, and then hmm. I read a review of this book. I read the book, and there was this. Yeah, everyone in the party tribe knows this. Yeah. Boom, boom moment where you know, oh my goodness, I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> I'm not a unicorn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. It's uh, yeah, Barbara Sher. She was a big influence for lots of people. I, I know certainly for Emily Wapnick uh, as a, a big inspiration for her to explore the what 
I think Emily coined or at least popularized the multi-potentialite term itself. So I like to ask people, of course, you know, long before we knew about that term or that you had any idea it existed, can you remember a moment when you realized that you couldn't just stick to one interest or one career path, that you had to try different things? Do you remember a moment where that really stood out to you? Yeah. Uh, actually, I can remember a moment when I was six, six or seven years old, and we visited one, a museum. And in this museum, there one was of those first big uh, steam-powered tractors uh, used in, in agriculture to, in, 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 on farms. And I was standing there, and I, I somehow I knew how this thing is built or was built. I somehow, somehow saw inside this, like, like seeing an explosion graphic. Of this, of this big monster, and I said to, to to my father and to the people around, I know that's how this works. And everyone was like, "Yeah, yeah, seven-year-old boy now has to work." <laughs> and I went home, of course, <laughs> in despair. Sat down and and took one of the old books of my grandfather, opened it, and and saw one of how the, how all these pieces fitted together. And and I knew, okay, that's it, that's it. I want to build one myself. Huh. Yeah, guess what? I didn't have, still working on it. But it was this very moment when I knew, okay, I'm somehow a bit different. Mm. And I bet, I, I bet you, well, you probably would have heard some comments from your family. It's like, so you want to be a mechanic. You want to be an engineer, therefore, right? Because exactly. it showed that kind yeah. of interest. And for you, it was like, yeah, of course you're interested. And it might be something that, you know, kind of sticks with you throughout your life. But it's not the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was much. It, it, it was even much tougher for me because uh, I come from a rather old Austrian family. Mm. I'm 14th generation now, and there are many academics in my family. So it was always like you have to be an academic. And there are uh, we have yeah solicitors and we have physicians. And why don't you want to be a physician? But I always knew. Well, I started out. I started to uh, the medicine student uh, as a medicine student in in medical school in Innsbruck. But after two or three years, I knew, no, I can't. I can't be a physician for the rest of my life, however cool it might be. Yeah. It, it won't work for me. Yeah? And this was horrible time to, to get everyone to know, no, this won't be my way. Mm. Now I'm back in healthcare, but from completely other direction. And everyone says, ah, oh, for goodness sake, we knew you will be somehow in the, in the healthcare system again. But uh, yeah, this was really the hard times and no one understood that it wasn't possible for me, yeah. however interesting it might be. Do you think that attitude is uh, is drawn, I guess, as much as anything from previous generations that obviously experienced a lot of war and instability, and therefore the response to that was, if you can find a stable job and career, then you stick with it, you know, and you're lucky to have it even, that that's what we should all aspire to, which is understandable, but it's still hard to force your mind to work that way if it's not instinctive. Uh, it's especially uh, here in, in, in mid-Europe and uh, those, those war-shaking countries, uh, especially Germany and Austria. So the, the, the generation that saw the war, that survived the war, uh, they only wanted to keep shut and somehow keep it going on, uh, whatever it needs. And mm. if it even means drilling your, your relatives, drilling your children to become something they maybe don't even want to be. Yeah. And this generation between 60s, 70s, 80s uh, did the same with their children. So this is my generation because I was born in 77. And it was always like one job, 
one house, one wife, and uh, retire with 60, maybe 62, and have, uh, I don't know what there is afterwards. No one told me, yeah. because everyone said, when you reach this point, then you are happy. Yeah. But this makes absolutely no sense when I want to be happy now. Mm -hmm. Did you find any other people along your journey that shared that same uh, attitude, that same approach to life? No. Hmm. Really not. Uh, I found the first ones when I went up north to uh, United Kingdom and started my studies there. Yeah. Uh, there were somehow the first ones who, yeah, I, I, it's it's like the cultural thing of there are some who are a bit strange, yeah, but it's okay. Why not? They, have, they should. Why not? Yeah. Uh, and in German-speaking countries, it's something like you have to keep down, don't talk about it. Yeah, of course you can be strange, but please at home, in your cellar, nowhere else, so no one can see you. Right. So they likely existed, of course, in Austria and Germany and so on, but they didn't talk about it. You wouldn't be aware. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Funny thing is that maybe I'm, I must put this in because that's a very typical thing for Austria. Um, you do what you you take the job your parents say that would be good for you, mm -hmm. then you do this, and funnily enough, uh, you join a club or association or society where your interests are in, and there you become the absolute grandmaster. So you can live this out in private without payment. But uh, then again, in the day job, you are a banker or a clerk or something like that, doing something you don't want just to be, yeah, safe, <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to keep the motivation and, and even the happiness when you're you're in that kind of situation, I think. Exactly. So how have you been, how have you navigated it? How, what kind of, um, I guess, jobs and career paths uh, have you taken? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> it's always a big question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It started out when I became a science journalist, I left Austria for a couple of years to Seattle, where I was correspondent. And I went back to, to London, via London, back to Austria. Uh, I was a correspondent in London uh, for, for two uh, big Austrian uh, magazines. Hmm. German-speaking magazines, not Austrian. They were, no, they were in Austrian. They were just German-speaking magazines. Uh, whatsoever. Then back in Austria, I was a uh, public relations manager for Samaritan Fauna, so so uh, telephone help. Then I had a ma then I started up a, a magazine, won two prices with it, sold it. With the profit, I started my uh, I started medicine studies again. Then I knew it's definitely not for me. Then I went back to the U uh, to UK. Then I did a master in public health at the University of Rampton. Then an MBA in uh, healthcare marketing at Anglia Ruskin in Cambridge. And now I'm at the University of Edinburgh with my PhD in telemedicine and e-health. Wow. And in parallel, I was working at a hospital the first two, three years in the, on the clinical uh, at an orthopedic station as an orthopedic st station assistant. Hmm. And then afterwards as the assistant of the medical director. Yeah, uh, putty. <laughs> it's a good name for it isn't it we, we're very malleable <laughs> yeah, <that's more> <laughs> <laughs> wow that's uh that's a lot of course corrections over the <laughs> over the course <laughs> of uh, i don't know i guess 20 years or so of professional life i don't have many friends to be honest you know oh, just yeah. two <laughs> well i guess then you've moved around a fair bit too by the sounds of it eh? yeah hopefully so. yeah but you're based in Austria now. Like, do you there full time? I mean, yeah. otherwise, aside from the pandemic, like, do you travel a lot, or do you able to stay in Austria? Well, uh, for my field studies right now, I have to travel between Sweden, Scotland, and Austria. Hmm. Uh, and my sister-in-law is in in 
Milano, so we often go down to Italy. But mainly I'm here in Austria right now, right for this phase of my life. Yeah. And yeah, I have a daughter, Valentina. She is uh, two and a half years now. She becomes three years. She got three years now in September. Hmm. And yeah, let's see where things go and how everything de develops. So um, yeah, I do want to get into our topic here, where which you suggested, in that uh, you've, as we just heard, you've you've had a lot of experience in starting new projects, and as, as I said earlier, it's just something that I mean a lot of people in the Putty Tribe do as well, for either professional reasons or for out of interest for hobbies, and the challenge is to really start something to get into something with at least kind of the best chance of success. How do you how would you measure success in terms of starting a project? Do you set out that way that you have a very definitive goal or does it kind of change and evolve as you go along? Hmm. Good question. I think the uh, the best measurement is uh, unslept hours versus <laughs> filled pages <laughs> with ideas. When is that out? Uh, now, thing is, uh, with, my, with my thesis, I'm in implementation sciences and I'm actually writing the first book in German or for the German-speaking market in implementation sciences because it's an, a rather new field of research. It started out 2004, 2005 in Heidelberg University. Explain to us a bit quickly, what, how do they define implementation sciences? Uh, implementation sciences, you can, you can imagine um, project management. Project management has uh, a couple of phases. So there is this idea finding phase, this, this initial moment where you come up with something special, then this research phase, then this um, how to, to uh, which resources I will need, et cetera, et cetera. So, and this is the implement, so this is the pre phase. And then there comes the implementation phase. So I have the idea, I have all the resources, I know where to go what, what, and what I want. And then there comes this very moment with, yeah, putting up your sleeves and starting with it. And this very special moment, when to start, where to start, what's the best thing to do first. So there's the strategic point, the bullet list everyone has, as well as who are my partners, who are my stakeholders, who I'm communicating it first, who I'm communicating next, stuff like that. So this implementation sciences pivots around, how can I nail the main points, the main ideas to get my system running? And it's always about systems and no peak events within a branch, within a market, which in a special niche and keep the system running without much effort and get a success after two or three years. Because it's proven that after two to three years, more than 70% of every project, no matter which branch, no, no matter which uh, market, uh, will lie down and will be kicked out. Yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? And that's across the board, I guess, right? In all kinds of industries and niches and so on. Yeah. yeah. After all, it always boils down to a couple of, of, of classes of project failures. Uh, and I've been through so many projects. Right now, I, I finished a project which was funded by the European government, uh, from the European government. And now... In the review, because I'm just writing the review, and this project was funded with, I don't know, 180,000 euros, and, and seeing the points that were mistaken uh, and, and which didn't work out, it's exactly those common classes of project failure right now, looking back. Tell us a bit about a couple of stories, if you have them, just yeah. through your experience. 
uh, when I when I did my my MPH at London University, uh, at University, I was like um, I wanted to do something for the other master students. Okay, so uh, we were two super enthusiastic and idealistic idealistic students, and and said. Okay, let's do a platform that is called Master of the Master. And we are just discussing and just bringing up issues around uh, a master program, especially when it is done blended or uh, some of us were on campus, others were just online. So it was a massive mixture with many questions around and many organizational problems. Uh, this project started out brilliantly because we, we got the resources from the university. We were able to hop on official universitarian video casts. Hmm. Uh, that, that was amazing. Uh, but the thing was that we never talked about the scope. We never talked about how big, where is the end? When will it end? And if it ends, what's the outcome? So we hopped in head first without looking. And we did some, yeah, we did some great presentations and some videocasts. Some are on 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 YouTube, are still on YouTube. Some personal stuff, etc. And and there were many people out there who loved it, which is always there are always some who loved it, and there are all as well enough who don't like it, and then say, okay, I want more of this, I want more of that. Can you tell us about uh, X Y Z? So in this very moment, and there was the failure in in, in retrospect. There was the failure because um, we then said, "Okay, we have to do this. We have to we have to deliver them all those inf- all this information." And suddenly we were, uh, yeah, everyone was walking his own line and walking his own. Okay, I'm more interested in talking about organizational stuff. I was more interested in talking about time management. Uh, third one was more interested in uh, bringing new ideas, how to come up with with how to write an assignment, how to edit an assignment, et cetera, et cetera. So suddenly it was like, yeah, <laughs> an own universe, everything expanded. Yeah, we it's lost going off contact. in all these different directions. Eh? Exactly. Uh, we lost it and, and we lost our scope. Mm. And finally, after I think eight to nine weeks, we didn't have any contact to each other. And when we then met again, it was like, yeah, three different projects. Mm. Everyone had his own tiny business thingy running. And everyone had his own followers. So it really exploded and didn't make any sense anymore. And that was the moment where this project crashed. So what did you learn from that then in terms of what not to do, I guess, the next time? Well, next time, uh, sticking your heads together more often, hmm. uh, thinking about the limitations, where to say no. We are just offering this for other services or other ideas where you want to go somewhere else, or we provide the resources or the contacts where you can ask this. We don't serve everything you want to hear. That was a big mistake. Yeah, yeah. that's such a big lesson. And I know, I, I think it might be one of those things you just kind of have to have the quote unquote failure to really understand it, but to recognize how much you can handle it. I guess if we're talking maybe especially business, but it could be other things, uh, how much 
you can handle because there's all kinds of ideas, there's all kinds of services, products, or other things you could offer. You can't do it all. Even if you have the ambition to grow, that'll take a while and has its own complications. And you have to identify who's your core, core audience, who's your target, who are your customers, who's going to be willing to actually purchase, pay for the thing, and you start with that. Which sounds easy or simple on paper, but of course, I think you kind of have to live it and experience it to really grasp the mentality. And it's even additionally, um, you can say the moment you get the, 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 the word out there, what you are doing and what you are providing, there are always some who say, hey, that's cool. I need this info. Take the info and off they go. You don't you never, ever hear, hear of them again. Hear of them again. Uh, and then there are those who say, oh, cool. I don't have to do anything because they are doing it for me. So they give you all their responsibilities and say, well, if you say you want to do it, then go do it, okay? And then somehow there is this, this very moment, this, this emotional crash situation where you say, hey, I'm just, I, I did it out of fun and because I wanted to help you guys and not that you instrumentalize my, uh, me you know, um, or my, my team. Uh, and that's also a moment where ideas start to uh, to yeah to dissolve. Yeah, well, that's a good lesson. That's a good a good experience, useful for us to learn from for sure. Where did you go after that? Then do you uh, did you go from that right onto a different project, or what's your next example? Yeah, um, the next example is an occupational example um, because when I was back in Austria, uh, my wife and I, uh, yeah, we are big. Big fans of Sweden. Okay, we are up there very often. Love the country. Love the people. It's exactly yeah. We love the style, the culture, and everything. Uh, and so we said, okay, we want. We don't want an Austrian house. We want a Swedish house built. And we actually found we found a company who uh, was was um, exporting or is exporting Swedish houses. Uh, we bought one, we built one in 2015, and now right here I'm sitting in an original Swedish house with original wood, original architecture, etc. Amazing, yeah? yeah? So my wife is uh, Manuela, she is uh, red-headed, she is freckled, she looks very Swedish, Scottish, more Scottish. My tiny one, Valentina, as I was told from an old Scottish lady, she is strawberry blonde. <laughs> amazing, amazing word. Uh, so we were up in Sweden at, uh, at the uh, with the company, and the company boss says, hey, why don't you want to distribute our houses? I mean, you're perfect for our marketing. And I said, yeah, why not? So we started in 2017, uh, right when Valentina was born, this, uh, this, this distributing uh, business. Uh, so we are distributing distributing the the, the house uh, the house set so the building set uh, and we bring in all the other components from Austria because there are uh, regulations going on and, and stuff like that. I checked for a partner because I was only aware of doing the marketing. Okay, showing the house. Uh, this is how it looks like. How you can live in it. What you can do with it. Uh, pros cons. Blah blah blah. Uh, and for every sold house set, I get a provision of 12%, which is super cool. Yeah? Uh, but the thing is that the partner I've chosen uh, kind of understood it more as his personal business hmm. and was like, okay, 
uh, he is the selling the houses. So he did, he was like always the body. Yeah, of course, we're doing this together, blah, blah, blah. But when it came to finding solutions, uh, it always like, it was me running around and asking everyone how to get the solution. Yeah. Uh, I was instrumentalized. Uh, or the other thing was, uh, I never, we never had clear communication about the strategy where to go where the the, so the, the the marketing strategies or the planning strategies, hmm. um, who is doing what? Because he always told me, yeah, I have my team, etc. So for nearly two years, we sold no house. Really? Wow. And I was like, what did I do? What is, what is going wrong? I mean, we have, we have, the, we have a top product. We, uh, I mean, these houses are, 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 sets for netflix shows <laughs> uh, and i said i said to my wife come on there are so many people out there uh and there were so many requests but somehow we never sold a house and then there was this first house we sold uh and it worked brilliantly for us but not for my partner because he wanted to bring in so much other things, uh, so so much other techniques, other architectural solutions, more, Austri more Austrian things uh, uh, and, and, and designs, and it didn't fit mm. from, uh, as well, a regulational point of view and a legal point of view. So when we then set, when we then sat together, uh, it was a year ago, and talked about this, I suddenly became aware that he never ever read a document I was I had given him. Really. Yeah, because he was just like, I know what I do because I'm, um, I'm in this job since 40, 30 to 40 years. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and I was like, okay, so I was your silly, what, newspaper boy running around and selling. It sounds like it. Absurd. Yeah. So here comes a very interesting part of uh, um, failures, uh, the communication. So it's uh, one, one thing was the scope. The other thing was the communication. If someone tells you everything you want to hear and you, yeah, yeah, and I think especially for us, multi-potentialites is problematic because we are so in it. We're so full of, mm -hmm. of spirits and, hey, yeah, cool, we start something new. And then there is this one guy who thinks, well, good for me. Then yeah. start, run, great, perfect. I'll sit there and wait what happens. Yeah. Uh, like a spider in the web. So we, we quitted this cooperation and now I'm working with an architect mm -hmm. who is also a Swedish fan. And we have our daily community, we have our daily talk, we have a true fix once a week, uh, we sit together one a, once a month, mm -hmm. talk about all the projects, about the money, what is coming in, what is going out, who gets what, where a percentage, it's really a team, it's a partnership. Cool. And this suddenly works after two and a half years. So <laughs> short before, from, from a, a, statistic, a statistical point of view, this project should <laughs> have been a mess. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> So I think the lesson learned from this is always keep an eye on, um, on good communication, mm. getting to know people, getting to understand what they want, and listen to all those meta texts, those meta messages, sub messages they're coming around, uh, uh, listening to what is not said. Yeah, oh yeah, like subliminal messaging, subconscious exactly. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and they mostly pop up when you when you sleep and your unsubconscious mind is 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 working with this. Well, why did he say that? Why yeah. did he didn't say that? 
And most of the time, what he didn't say, I think that's the point where I have to go to a partner and say, okay, please explain to me because I, I don't get it. Maybe I'm too silly to understand it. Why is it? What? Tell me what's, what is it for you? Uh -huh. What is in it for you? What do you want? What's your strategy? What's your, what's your goal? And in this very moment, when you don't get a correct answer or an answer you can live with, uh, well, hmm, then you have to say, I don't think that we'll, we will proceed or this will be a success. Mm -hmm. So you feel more confident with your current partnership. It sounds like there's a lot more communication. Exactly, exactly. Do you have like clearly defined goals or measures of success then for, this, for the new project? Yeah, yeah. big, big, uh, big thing. Because the first thing we did was, and it was coming from him, he said, I see you are check of all trades and you do all this marketing stuff and this works brilliant, fine. But I can tell you from my point of view as a professional architect, uh, we need a process within a structure. I need to plan this, okay? Because that's my job. I'm a planner. I'm diving into every project. And I said, that's brilliant because that's not me. I don't want to dive in the project. I just want to sell cool houses to cool people. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a perfect fit now. And here is, here is exactly that. You need some kind of process. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk about measurements because it sounds so, so machiny. So, so yeah, you're an engine at the end of the day, you have to deliver pr a product. No, it's more like you have to establish a system, a simple system, which can be checked on every, an everyday basis. Does it deliver one good feeling, one good uh, insight, one good step you can uh, use for the next for the next steps? Yeah. yeah. So working on a good working system, find your own formula. I think that's that's main. That's that's key for every implementation phase. Are you the type of person that likes to have an exit plan when you start something? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> Because so many, so many projects were, uh, yeah, went down the drain. So when you start out, uh, um, or it's for me, when I start out, I just check what's, uh, I start with the end in mind. Yeah, so where do you want to be? Where do I want to be in two to three years, in one year, in a quarter? Uh, then I do one of those 12 week plans, which is cool because three months you can get so many things done. Yeah, I hop on and, and check the system. Wh which system will deliver the right outcomes? Hmm. So then, okay, but then like with an exit plan, if it doesn't work out to that plan and maybe you, you know, try to, to rethink it a bit, but do you feel you have? the freedom to pull the plug, to move on if you have to? Do you worry about uh, getting stuck into things? That's always, a, that's always the issue with the exit plan because uh, starting with the end in mind has, bears always, always the problem that you think this will be all okay yeah. and this will be great and I know where to go so I can't fail. But there are situations where you're doing everything right and uh, it will fail after all. Yeah which was a really paradox situation when I came across this first because um, there was a project in a hospital and I did everything that really there wasn't, everything was correct. Everything was done right. Every step was perfectly communicated, et cetera, but it didn't work, it didn't work out. And that's the very moment where you have to understand that your exit plan must be an integral part of your, uh, of your project. Yeah. Whatever you do, wherever you go, you always need this. 
but I think it, it, it should be more like just switching off a light. Mm. Maybe it's the, the light is switched off for now in this room, but I don't know if I come back there and switch it on again someday when it fits or somewhere else. That's yeah? a good point. You know, we often think, well, if something doesn't work out and, you know, you manage to get yourself out of it, that that's it. You can you can never try it again, but maybe you can in a couple of years or whatever it is. Maybe different circumstances. Well, we're quite fortunate here at the Multipod, and I think the Putty Tribe in general that we're going to uh, tap into some of your expertise and experience and explore some ideas for this show and podcasting in general opportunities for the group. So this is gonna I'm gonna set this up as a, a bit of a cliffhanger because. We'll, we'll introduce it right now, but we'll come back to it possibly in our next episode, but in the near future, about some ideas for the show. Because uh, you wrote to me uh, saying you were interested in, in podcasting and some uh, ideas of, of exploring multipotentiality, uh, reaching out to some experts and other guests and other perspectives from beyond the Putty Tribe as well, which is something we've never really done in this show. Uh, we, we like, of course, to talk to people that are members of the group, and we certainly will continue to do that. But, you know, it's been two and a half years we've been doing this show, and um, yeah, maybe it's time for maybe a, a bit of a change, a bit of a refresh, perhaps take it to the next level. Uh, explore some new ideas, some new formats. So we're thinking of yeah, reaching out to seeing who else we might talk to, uh, coming up with some different structures for our episodes, perhaps adding in some extra kind of bonus content or uh, other things in between. And a lot of this is uh, derived from your initiative of planning and uh, figuring out how we can really um, deliver content that people can use, uh, and, and it's inspiring as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and the funny thing is, you said two and a half years, two yeah. years, two and a half yeah, years. That's, half exactly, years. Yeah. that's exactly the time frame from an implementational point of view where a project, 30 to 36 months, uh, where to go next, where to do, where, what to do next. Uh, yeah, uh, so why I came up with the idea of the podcast is because I want to do a, a podcast on a website project I, I want to start in, in September, October. And then right through the lockdown uh, here in Austria, I, I was listening to, to, many, to much podcasts as well, uh, again myself. And then I came across your podcast and your and the Party Tribe podcast. And I was, wow, they already have 50, 53 uh, unbelievable yeah <laughs> and i listened to it and and i was like that's so super cool for me to hear what other this 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 kind of personal reintroduction of multipotentialites what they are thinking that that's brilliant mm -hmm. for the for the tribe it's really great and i had so much fun to especially it, it always boils down to some main issues everyone has as a multipotentialite yeah. with your with himself or people around uh, but the thing is, from a journalistic point of view, I think it would help a lot to open up a bit the content that others can understand us better, because mm. that's our main issue. Uh, I mean, we can we can sit together, huddle, cuddle, and everything is super fine, but the others won't understand us yep. because of that. Yeah, yeah we haven't uh, focused so much on that component to the multipotentialite identity. Uh, up to this point, and as I say, it's uh, if we're going to expand our our scope a bit, that's a great way to do it: is to reach out beyond our comfortable bubble 
and uh, and get some different perspectives. So I, I really I appreciate you your perspective in coming into this as someone new to the tribe and new to I suppose the concept and obviously to the podcast to then share that perspective of uh, of what we can do to of what we can add to our show. And I super appreciate that you opened to this because I was on some other forums as well, and there was like, no, that's our big. Uh, it works for us, and if it works for us, then everything is fine. Well, yes, no, actually not. <laughs> so uh, what I was thinking about um, was like, yeah, talking to the partners of multipotentialites, or talking to, or getting some experts in, like, yeah, psychologists to talk about mm-hmm. the, the the problems. Uh, or do some discussion with experts. So we get the general, generalist versus specialist point of views oh, yeah. and, and special niches, which can also help and bring up new ideas for the startups among us. Uh, and, and I would be delighted if, if some of us can raise their hands and say, okay, here I am with an, a good colleague of mine who is an expert in, sure. or here I am with a with a... An uncle who is an I don't know a professor for I don't know what yeah yeah could and, be anything. You know, on board. So I think it's time to to open up in the in the in, in the direction to say here we are and we're doing it this right out of fun. So please tell us what's what's your points of view with us. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. Well, we'll leave it at that. And this is uh, an open invitation to everyone listening to jump onto the forum. Uh, tell us your thoughts. What do you think about some of the ideas we can add to this show? Um, suggestions, and we'll start a bit of a discussion and a dialogue, and we'll build on it. So this is a bit of a cliffhanger because in the interim, in the next couple of weeks at least, all of us here at the Multipod, along with Flo and anyone else who certainly wants to join in, we'll have some more discussions. We'll we'll get some more concrete ideas down and some plans, and we'll come back. We'll come back at you with what we come up with and uh, and make it a little more. Uh, concrete, as I say, but you, uh, this is it really encapsulates the nature of this show. This is a community show. It's open to anyone who wants to participate. It's the same message that I've said for the last two and a half years, and I love it when people take it up on it. <laughs> that uh, you know, any way you want to help out, if you want to pitch us some ideas, obviously, if you want to come on the show yourself, suggest people who can as well, help out behind the scenes, you know, with a bit of research, or we can teach you some audio editing and stuff like that. Uh, all kinds of things. And, and really, it also comes down to if you're interested in podcasting, this is a chance to, to learn, to practice, to figure out some of the technique behind the microphone and, you know, getting your message through, communication. It's such a great platform, and we're so blessed to have the opportunity. We have a wonderful community here of people that listen and, and you know, give us a feedback to this show. It's supported by the Putty Tribe. So it's really kind of the perfect mix of opportunity. If you want to get involved and help us out, feel free to do so. That's one uh, absolutely great thing. I just, I know this marketing trick from a friend of mine um, who has several websites uh, running. He goes and says, everything I can write, I can do as a podcast or audio file as well. Yep. So when he has content for one of his websites he does it as a podcast gets um, uh, someone who is editing it and transcribing it mm-hmm. puts in as a word file on his website as well as a download and then googlebots are coming 
and checking for the best keywords. Yeah. And so he yeah he hits two flies with a, with a clap because uh, <laughs> those who want to listen can listen and all others can read it. And sure. the Googlebots are happy to find the website via the keywords. So for all startups among us, that's a brilliant idea to bring up super cool, easy and uh, and cheap marketing mm. for the website. That's I never thought about that. Of course, you, we can train that as well. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point too. It's uh, it's very multi-dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Multi is the word in here. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> well, it's been great. So, Flo, this certainly won't be the last we hear of you. It's hopefully just the beginning. It's been great to get to know you and some of your backstory. I'm pretty sure you're our first guest from Austria. So that's always uh, great to take another country off our list. <laughs> We've talked to people from all over the world in this show. It's wonderful. <laughs> And uh, as I say, stay tuned, everyone. Stay tuned for our next episode. And please join in, send it, share some of your suggestions, your thoughts, feedback, what you think about what you've heard in the forum there on our discussion forum. And uh, we'll be in touch. So thanks very much, Flo. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Ted, for being on board. Cheers. Cheers.